bringing you up to speed on the latest in conservation, science, and responsible hunting in Canada. Hey everyone, it's Mark Hall, and you're listening to the Round Canada Podcast. Doug Sheshon, welcome to the Round Canada Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Doug, you're, uh, you were on the Hunter Conservationist podcast uh, not too long ago. You were the executive director of the Fur Institute of Canada. And uh, I really appreciate um, taking up the call here on short notice to discuss a couple of uh, stories that were trending around the country involving trapping. Um, so appreciate, uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts um, and kind of what you think the key messages from these stories should be the message that that the public is taking away from these stories as opposed to what's been um, crafted or engineered in some of the news stories. So the first one, um, we'll just go chronologically. Let's jump to Prince Edward Island and talk about, this is, this is a heartbreaking story. Like there's, there's yeah, no absolutely. doubt about it. Um, we're all dog owners and, um, yeah, I, I completely empathize, you know, with, with, uh, this family's loss. So, um, but, but there's, there's deeper issues and there's a skewed narrative going on, um, trying to take away from, you know, um, the, the real story here. So maybe break down, um, this PEI incident, um, from, from what you know of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so my my understanding from the the media reports that are out there is uh, that uh, a lady had a, her dog out on her her cousin's property on a piece of woodland, uh, and and unfortunately the the dog found itself in in an illegal snare and and was killed, which is terrible, um, and certainly not something that uh, that either of us want to see or that any you know decent human being wants to see is uh, is a dog killed by an illegal snare um the uh the conservation authorities came in and and found i guess another couple illegal snares on the property uh and the individual responsible was charged with with illegal trespass uh because on pei to trap on private property you require property owner permission uh which this person did not have uh for for that particular property so the uh you know the ensuing media coverage and 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 stuff you know saw some of the the usual suspects come out of the woodwork and say we need to get rid of snaring on pei we need to get rid of commercial trapping on pei um you know the usual the, the usual message from from anti-trapping groups anti-sustainable use groups which you know is is really unfortunate it's it's an ambulance chaser mentality coming from them um you know certainly uh there's uh there's other things that i'm sure this this family would like to be dealing with um right now you know certainly i'm i'm sure they wish they were still playing with their dog that was you know illegally killed um instead they're they're having to do media interviews and you know see uh see their name and and pictures of their dog on uh you know advertisements from animal rights organizations yeah um i think that that sums up kind of what i've um gathered from from the news stories as well that's the only sources that i've i've had is is news stories that have been published in various quotes of 
of people in the story from from the from the dog owner and i think the reason i wanted to dig into this you know a, a bit and talk about this was um basically just what you described <laughs> i like the ambulance chaser thing right like i mean to me, the issues at heart here are um, trespass, uh, illegal trapping, which if you want to just call that poaching, it's a violation of provincial wildlife laws um, and no different than hunting. Um, that's poaching. So that's, that's the issues at heart here are these criminal activities um, that led to the, the death of this dog and for these groups the anti-trapping groups and they're right from the the fur bears in British Columbia all the way through to you know the different groups and on the east coast uh, getting into the media allowing their sound bites to be on and um, and heard and published and then weaponizing this story basically to feed into their greater um, campaigns or causes of basically the banning of all trapping in Canada like I would say it goes beyond just PEI they're just sort of like hey this is look there's another reason yeah absolutely I mean and, and we see you know some of their their usual tactics of you know in certain stories it's just you know well we need better regulation or you know we just need better uh, you know better safeguards around trapping you know, but if you go to their website, it's like, well, also, we just need to stop trapping or we need to stop snaring or we need to stop, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, they, they provide kind of a soft sell to folks and say, you know, we're reasonable groups. We're just trying to, to get better regulation. Um, I mean, PEI is one of the most regulated jurisdictions in the country for trapping. Oh, um, really? Yeah. I mean, just, just the realities of, of the, the constrained geography of PEI, uh, and, and significant density of, of folks, you know, that, uh, as soon as you start applying, you know, setbacks from, uh, from residences, from dwellings, you know, 200 meters setback from dwellings for snares requiring, uh, landowner permissions, you know, things like that. It's, it's not like the entirety of PEI is bristling with traps and snares. Um, you know, this is, is something that is a strongly regulated activity. Um, PEI doesn't have, you know, the, the vast wildernesses of crown lands that, you know, BC or Newfoundland Labrador have, um, even, you know, pockets of, of my home province in, in Nova Scotia, you know, I can walk off the back of my parents' property and walk into, you know, thousands of acres of, uh, or thousands of miles, I should say of, uh, of crown land and, and forestry land. Um, it is a, a, a reality for trappers, uh, on PEI that they need to, uh, to be very cognizant of exactly where snares are exactly what their, their sets are, um, because they, they understand themselves that, uh, that on, on, on PEI, this is a, a very closely monitored activity. Yeah. The. The Alberta Trappers Association's got an educate like a series of educational videos, and there's one that I watched a couple years ago because tremendous amount of trapping in southern Alberta is private land, and their best management practices in Alberta that the um, the ATA um, sort of advocates for 
is very, very thorough communication with adjacent property owners um, of going to within a couple kilometers of your licensed property that you're allowed to be on to trap uh, and talking to everybody to say, this is what I'm doing. Um, and, and basically, it's to proactively inform everybody in a, in a geographic area of where your traps are going to be because it's primarily uh, coyotes. It could be skunks and stuff. But in the rural area, people's dogs, you know, roam around and they go from property to property and go to the neighbors and they get breakfast and they go have lunch with the other neighbors. And, you know, that's just rural life and dogs. So they have this best management practices of doing the best you can um, to approach all adjacent property owners, talk to them, understand their concerns, know the timing, follow up with them. And, and that's, a, that's a very good um, message about, you know, this sort of activity around people. In my mind, that doesn't, that, that's sort of a side thing, but it doesn't really apply to this case in PEI because well, this was an that... outright trespass. <laughs> yeah, this was an, this is the same as if somebody walked onto that property and shot that dog. Yeah. At the end of the day, this was an illegal activity um, that somebody was, was acting in, in blatant disrespect to the law, to the landowner, to the dog owner, to other trap, to trappers on PEI, um, you know, for certainly not to, not to say that there aren't best practices that can be followed and, and, you know, uh, you know, that uh, the trappers shouldn't be, you know, um, have, maintain good relationships with neighboring property owners. But this isn't that. This is somebody came onto that property without permission, set illegal snares, and killed someone's dog. Yeah. And and no amount of, of regulating licensed, legal, law-abiding trappers that, is That's the stop narrative this. that's embedded in these stories that, I, I just, I really want people to, um, that are listening to us or, or, or read the stories to really think critically about what you're reading and messages and quotes from, from, from different people and groups. And in this case, it's the logic of what the, the groups that were quoted in the story are saying. And so we're talking about illegal trespass onto private land, their solution is, like you said, Doug, more regulations for commercial licensed trappers. And and so I, I just ask people, maybe the idea of banning trapping, like you're with that, you don't like the like the idea, you don't like the risk to pets. That that that's fine. That's a a validly held belief. And and I don't you know, um, won't criticize people for, for having those beliefs. But what I ask people is just to stop and think about the logic of the problem that's trying to be solved here and regulating a licensed industry more and people that are following laws to deal with a problem where the causes of that problem were not the licensed trappers in the first place. Like logically... There's a disconnect there. You're you're trying to fix causes that are not causes of this of this problem, and I just want people to be, you know, I I, I I'm on this side of the fence, but the logic of what's being proposed here doesn't make sense to me. 
And then the other aspect that I ask people to think about is, is like ask people that are talking about this, what is your specific solution? So if you're saying regulating the trapping industry, like, well, what is that other than just ban trapping and, and ban snares, then they move on to the next thing. So I, d- I just want people to think critically. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the other important thing here, Mark, is, is that even if PEI bans commercial trapping, which I absolutely hope that they won't, and, and certainly the FIC will, will continue to advocate for safe and humane, sustainable commercial trapping across the country. Um, banning commercial trapping doesn't end trapping. Landowners and farmers on PEI will still have a need to control wildlife. Um, all it will do is move the uh, move the the onus and move the the financial incentive of trapping from the fur market and and the interests of commercial fur trappers to farmers, landowners and inevitably the taxpayer. Um, we've seen this in, in Europe, in places where there's no legal commercial trapping. Uh, they have governments that are spending millions of dollars on professional trappers who are controlling, you know, muskrats in the Netherlands is the one that, that often gets brought up. Um, muskrats are invasive in the Netherlands. The, the Dutch government pays enormous sums of money to folks to, um, to trap those muskrats out, to, to attempt to trap those muskrats out. Uh, that's the thing is, is there are coyotes on PEI. There will continue to be coyotes on PEI and raccoons and foxes and, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, so this, this goes beyond just the interests of commercial trappers. This is the interests of landowners and farmers and the taxpayer on PEI. So if, uh, if there's folks out there on PEI, I mean, uh, you know, fewer and fewer, um, given the, the state of the fur market right now. Um, but if there are folks still on PEI that are willing to go out there and, and trap, um, without getting a check from the municipality or the provincial government or, or, uh, you know, Cavendish, uh, French fries, um, you know, that's something I think that we need to to ensure that people understand the value of of the fact that we do have, you know, well-trained, passionate trappers on PEI. And not let the actions of, of a lawbreaker, of an outlaw, um, who killed someone's dog, um, you know, paint the legal rule-following, you know, best practice trapper on PEI. Yeah, um, absolutely. And not get the two confused. And, you know, the other thing that I would ask people to think about, um, sort of leveraging off what you're saying is, you know, so so you, you ban commercial trapping and you're saying like then rural landowners and uh, farmers and stuff are still going to have a need to address problem and dangerous wildlife on occasion. They have no vested interest in the fur, the fur quality, um, it's, it's, a, um, it's an activity that, that takes away from, you know, looking after their chickens, you know, or whatever. And 
the easiest way to accomplish that if you have no vested interest in that in getting rid of animals it is poison yeah and and just throwing out some blocks and it's just like hey the whatever hasn't been around for a week now great where it ended up whatever they don't care they just know that it's stopped and like that is like the least cost the least effort and and we know like through science, the use of like rodenticides and, and, and stronger poisons get into the food chain and they're, you know, they're ending up in birds of prey and, and all these sorts of things. So I also ask people in the fact that we're never going to overcome human nature or farmers needing to um, address problem wildlife. You can have your fencing, electric fencing, you can have all of these things in place, coexistence principles, scare tactics, at the end of the day, there's still going to be some animals that are slipping through that security system and an owner is going to have no choices but lethal removal. And so let's, let's maintain, like Doug's saying, that people that know how to do this and have a vested interest in, in doing it. And, and that's the, one of the consequences of this narrative that we're seeing in PEI about, uh, you know, about you know, hey, here's another reason why trapping needs to be banned story, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and you know, there is the, the kind of the bigger consideration here for, for a national organization like, like the Fur Institute is if by, by some uh, terrible consequence, the anti-trapping groups, the animal rights groups are able to convince the government of PEI that commercial trapping needs to stop or that snaring needs to stop um that's the first domino um that's that's the first one to fall um so maybe you know folks listening to this you might not be on pei um you might have uh, never been there or maybe you went there for a vacation once uh checked out the green gables museum uh but if uh if these groups have pei to point to and say pei gets away fine with no snaring or no commercial trapping or no whatever. Um, that's the first one. Then they're coming for trapping on Nova Scotia. Then they're coming for trapping in New Brunswick. Then they're coming for trapping in BC. Um, and they will have the example to point to. Right now, the examples they have to point to are, you know, constrained urban areas in some situations or Europe. Um, but once they have an opportunity to say, well, PEI gets along fine with no commercial trapping, um, which they won't, but you know, the, the, it won't. Cause they'll be never fine. talk about these consequences of that action. Like you and I are pointing out a few things, right? Like they'll never, they'll never say, well, you know, after a year, things are actually worse than what we thought they were going to be um, under yeah. a trapping regime. So like they'll never you know, they'll never ad ad admit to that. So um, kind of like the the wolf call that's taking place for caribou recovery, they, they, the groups that want to save the wolves never talk about caribou. It's like, yep. it's like they swear an oath to not say the word caribou and just <laughs> talk about how cruel governments are to wolves. So it's like, yeah, governments I, I don't wolves. know. Well, why? Well, because they're killing wolves. <laughs> yeah, because it's, it, it's a war, right? Um, anyways, di different topic. Let's, let's jump across the province or the country to the province of Alberta and maybe fill us in on the Bobcat story in Calgary 
in how you understand it? Yeah, so my my understanding, and actually I remember seeing this on on Twitter because one of the folks that tweeted about it was a, a friend of a friend, um, and I was like, oh, this is this is going to be in the papers soon. Um, is there there's a, a bobcat in in this particular neighborhood of Calgary? Um, they gave it a name because they always give it a name, um, and it was it was dragging around a, a body gripping trap on its on its front paw. Um, and I've seen some some stories call it a body gripping trap. Some call it a, a foothold trap. But I mean, the pictures weren't great. But I think it was a body gripping trap. Yeah, um, I'm looking at one right here of it in the capture kennel, and it's a very clear picture. Um, oh, okay. It is a it is a it's a one ten. Yeah, so it's it's a one ten body gripping trap. You know, single spring trap for folks. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a trap that you'd set for skunk or weasel or you know it's it's not something you would set for a bobcat and you probably shouldn't be setting it for a bobcat in the calgary city limits um so this uh this bobcat was dragging this trap around for for a couple weeks um and no one could could track him down and uh him or her down and uh and and get the bobcat and get the trap off of it um finally um you know, Alberta Fish, Wildlife, and Parks was able to to get the, uh, or they just changed the name of the department. Um, but uh, the, the the authorities were able to to get the bobcat and uh, and get the trap off it to to minimal injury. Um, and now it's uh, it's being taken care of at a, a wildlife rehabilitation facility in Alberta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe maybe I, I think. There's a few things here um, th that, that I want to explain to people. I think the first is the issue of the trap um, because that's part of what's clouding the narrative and weaponizing this story is, is foothold traps. It's a, it's a trap that's on the animal's foot. And I thought foothold traps were illegal. Um, this is why we need to ban foothold traps. I'm seeing that whole um narrative so so maybe just explain a little bit to folks the difference between a foothold and a body gripping trap in this case for really small animals muskrats and weasels yeah for sure so i mean this this is a, a case of a trap which held a foot versus a, a quote-unquote foothold trap um you know a, a a foothold trap is uh is not the uh the wily coyote uh jagged tooth uh bear trap of old um those have been illegal in canada for decades upon decades um a foothold trap is a trap that's designed to immobilize an animal um and keep them in one place with little to no injury uh until a trapper can come back and check that trap and choose either to release the animal or to in the case of a commercial for a trapper to, to dispatch that animal. Um, these are traps that are used, you know, not only in, in the commercial fur harvest, but by research and human wildlife conflict folks to, um, you know, for problem animals that they want to relocate or for research that they want to be able to, to collar an animal or something like that. Um, it, a, a foothold trap does not kill an animal, a, a body gripping trap, um, you know, a 110, like you say, is, is a small size of, of body gripping trap and, and the design of a body gripping trap 
um, is to kill an animal um, as quickly and humanely as possible through, uh, you know, severe trauma to the head and or spine uh, of the animal. So it, uh, it snaps shut and kills the animal because the animal goes into it head first. Um, in the case of a weasel or something, you know, it, it's coming into that trap snap animal is is dead within a matter of seconds so so part of the the effectiveness in using the these these two sets of traps in a humane way <clears throat> has everything to do with the context in which they're placed in so the body gripper trap is designed so an animal goes in head first because <clears throat> it's trying to get like bait behind it and a lot of times um, it's enclosed in a box so they can't go behind it or above or below it. It's very specifically moving an animal of a certain size directly through the center of the trap where the foothold is put in an air and placed in a position, location, whatever, where, you know, an animal's going to be, it's going to put its left foot here and then it's, it's caught and it, and it's restrained there. So, the fact that this bobcat was able to step in a trap that was designed for small animals to go head first for me is an indicator that it was improperly set probably by someone that didn't know they would have just taken and laid it on the ground like a rat trap or something right would what what's your read on the fact that it yeah, I'd I'd say that you're you know not uh, not having a crystal ball to uh, to be able to see exactly what transpired. I think that's the likely likely what happened here is somebody thought there there wasn't much difference between setting you know a body gripping trap versus setting your standard rat trap, and you know maybe they had rats, maybe they had uh, skunks, maybe they had I don't know if there's weasels in Calgary. Um, that uh they they had some kind of problem wildlife they were trying to deal with and uh did not go about it properly they 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 knew somebody who had traps in their shed that their grandfather had left them or or they went to to a, a store not knowing you know what it is they were actually buying um and uh and yeah you know any anyone that was familiar with uh with that trap or with bobcats would not intend for these two uh th this trap and this animal to have interacted with each other yeah so you know i i don't i don't want people to listen to this and go oh well you're you're deflecting it away from the possibility that it could have been from a legal commercial trap or somewhere in the woods that then the cat wandered into the urban area so so yes that is a possibility um it would have been pretty abnormal circumstances um for, in my mind for a few reasons one like i said it was it would be in a box and i i'm not an expert on this but i believe cats lead with their head not with their paws like we've got the issue where bears are reaching in with their feet um to me it would have been more likely that if it was in a little box the cat would have tried to stick its head in there going like what's in here is there a mouse or something like that and maybe the trap would have you know caught the end of its nose or you know smacked it on the on the beak or something the other use of that trap is for muskrats which would have been a water set 
on a pole for a muskrat to go after bait and go in head first and i don't see and I bobcats do not like not not big fans of water swimming out to to get a carrot off of a stick in a pond. So, so, um, but and and then the other part of this story is in the wilderness, a commercial trapper would have had that tethered to the tree, so that something didn't take the trap and their caught animal away. So the bobcat would not have ended up. It would have been a trapper would have gone. Oh my gosh, there's a bobcat tied to the tree here. Yeah, so, exactly. And and this bobcat was known to be in this neighborhood for for, you know, a long time. Uh is is my understanding. Yeah, is that this this was a bobcat that lived in and around this neighborhood. So folks were who did see it were like, "Oh, hey, that's that bobcat that lives around here." Um and it's dragging a trap for some reason. So so you know, again, it you know, I'm not going to say absolutely there's no chance that this was an interaction with with a licensed commercial trapping operation but it the odds of that being true are vanishingly small yeah and i'm not familiar with alberta or the city so the city itself will have bylaws about trapping um which probably are along the lines of of like you need to be a licensed individual. So if you have a skunk problem, you'd have to hire one of those pest control folks or whatever to come in who would be licensed by the city in order to to deal with problem wildlife. And then I know where I live in British Columbia that, that the, the zones around settled areas, like around the communities, are typically zones that are vacant of a commercial trapper. It's not till you get away from the towns for the whole reason we were talking about with, you know, dogs and people and stuff. So the, I, I wouldn't expect, and I don't know provincial laws that just outside the city limits would not be a commercial trapping area, uh, in Alberta, like, you know, where, where, where I live in BC. Yeah, I think I think like you say, I think that it's, it's much more reasonable to assume that this interaction happened within the city uh likely in that neighborhood um with uh like you say with with a trap that was improperly set you know likely by someone who didn't necessarily know what they were doing um because like you say that that bobcat didn't reef that tree reef that trap off of a tree somewhere in the wilderness and and bring it back with it to uh to calgary i i looked it up and in calgary you can buy that 110 body gripping trap for 9.99 at Cabela's. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm kind of again making some assumptions, but I think all again all I want people to do is is go. There's a problem uh, that happened. What are the possible causes? And 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 everything. And in this case, the prevailing narrative again from the groups quoted are look here's another reason why we need to ban trapping when in fact we need to open up and say however there is also the possibility or maybe a stronger likelihood that this was just a person that went and bought a commercial trap for from a store because that is legal to do that and they set the trap if that's the situation 
um, then we need to explore that and what that would mean for preventing this from happening again. Like we would look for solutions for that. Um, why does, you know, ask the questions, why does an unlicensed person have access to buy these traps? Why would a person have been pushed to the point of putting a trap in a residential area? Were they f scared of the bobcat? Were they frustrated with coyotes living around? Are they um, fed up with the neighbor's cat coming over and pooping in the kid's sandbox? Like whatever the reason, like to me, those are all fair things that I'm sure investigators are, you know, trying to trace down to ascertain what's real and what's just presumptions uh, in this situation. But again, the common thread here to the PEI story is the the anti-trapping groups are weaponizing this and, and moving it towards their narrative to say, oh, this is why we need more regulations. And uh, I think I, see, I saw the one that came out about the group saying, this is why we're advocating for tags on the trap. So we can go, oh, this is license number one, two, three, that's trapper so-and-so. Yep. Why is your trap on a bobcat in downtown Calgary and then chase this person down? What, what are your thoughts on that? So the, the I issue. don't have the, the Alberta regs here open in front of me, but uh, in most places that is a requirement. Is um, it really? Okay, it's in, not in, in BC. I should say most. In some places it is a requirement. Okay. Um, Interesting. That, uh, that a trap set have your license number on it. Um, and, and, you know, different provinces have taken different approaches to dealing with um, with some of these these issues. You know, in Ontario, I believe it is, you know, there's no prohibition necessarily on purchasing a trap if you're an unlicensed uh, person, but if, if you're not a licensed trapper, I should say, to be more precise, um, but you can't use it. Um, if, uh, you know, if, if you're found actually setting that trap on your property, whatever, um, that is an offense. So, you know, there's, there's different ways to go about it depending on the, the pre-existing, um, pre-existing legislation in, in these areas, you know, like, like we say in, in PEI, um, the, the person who illegally set that trap was charged through, um, you know, violating trespass as opposed to a trapping offense, because first and foremost, that was a trespassing event. Um, you know, it's uh, in, in certain provinces, the, the, you know, control of dogs is regulated through wildlife acts because they're concerned about interactions between dogs and wildlife in other places. It's dealt with through, you know, a dog act, um, that uh, that is is a one-stop shop for all of the all of the limitations around your dog and what your dog can and can't do and what what offenses are you know that's so there's different ways i think that the different provinces have have set out to address some of these issues uh but i think kind of the the number one message needs to be is that this is something that trappers associations the fic provincial territorial governments um have looked at you know, it's it's not something that uh, that everyone's just like, oh, well, we never thought that there might be people who use traps illegally, um, which is kind of what some of these anti-trapping groups try and and set out to to have people believe is that trapping is the wild west, and you know, it's the British government sending the the Hudson's Bay Company to create a fur desert in the Pacific Northwest. Like the camp, the campaign in Alberta of like trapped in the past, you know, like 
there's been no substantial changes in a hundred years in dropping technology. No, yeah, like, like, which is blatantly false. Uh, you know, that's <laughs> that's the thing is is for for folks who who are listening. You know, when you read a, a news story about you know trapping or a, an interaction between a, a, a animal and a trap or a, a pet and a trap, and the only quotes are from an anti-trapping group, uh, it's not the whole story right is is you know i saw a story the first cbc story um about the the dog that was unfortunately caught in in pei um i looked at the news story and i was like well the only groups in here are i mean there's a quote from the provincial government and there's a quote from an anti-trapping group uh and i you know fired up my email and said hey why are there no quotes from you know pei trappers association or the Fur Institute of Canada, or, you know, there's, we're happy to provide background, we're happy to provide information, you know, whatever it is you need to ensure that the whole story is being told here. Let us know, we're, we're happy to help, you know, the, that's what the FIC is, is here to do is to promote, you know, humane trapping in, in Canada. Um, you know, we have, you know, reams and reams of papers and reports and and stuff that we can we can make available to media, um, if they have questions about you know what's this trap versus this other trap, what's the use for a foothold versus the use for a body gripping trap, what is a body gripping trap, um, and the provincial and territorial trapping associations are are there as well. Um, yeah, and and they're generally more connected to the local story. Like the absolutely. Alberta Trappers yeah. Association would be much more connected to um, the Calgary story. And you know, Bill would be able to say, you know, hey, hang on a second, the nearest trapper to that location is you know 107 kilometers from there where their line starts. Like they would know that level of detail. So exactly, amazing yeah. I mean, resources. And, you know, talking to the CBC, you know, there were a couple of questions where I was like, okay, here's what FIC can answer. You should go talk to PI Trappers Association about X, Y, Z, because they have the local the local experience and local expertise. Um, but it's it's really one of those deals with with you know quick deadlines for for media and they're they're feeding the machine of the six o'clock nightly news and the eleven o'clock evening news of of here's you know here's the story and we took one interview and it's a digital story and a radio story and a TV story, um, you know we uh, we certainly do everything we can to ensure that those stories are are balanced and those stories show. Uh, you know, aren't just a voice and a, a megaphone for the anti-trapping groups, but uh, you know, this is something that folks who are, if you're subscribers to these newspapers or if you watch these TV store, these TV channels, and you see a story that only has one side of uh, of the trapping debate, you know, I hate to say the trapping debate, but um, you know, contact contact the reporters and say, hey, why wasn't the FIC or the local trapping association contacted for this story yep yep now th this is this is a part of this whole story i wanted to get to both these stories and and maybe finish off on that why do you think this is happening um why do the anti-groups or the opposed groups seem to be the ones that are quoted in these stories one they're not involved in improving trapping technology or practices or regulations. They do not know 
how to trap. They do not know the industry. They have a cause of just stopping what other people are doing. They're not authorities, yet they somehow are the go-to sources for an authoritative comment on these stories. Like, why are they successful? You know, like you were saying, you're, you know, hey, the FIC is here, you can contact us and we, but that seems like that's passive. Like, are, are these other groups like in people's, the reporters faces like, hey, on the phone and leaving voice messages and say, hey, we want to talk about this Bobcat story in Calgary, like call us back, call us back every hour, you know, and they're like, oh my God, let's give these people a call. Like, I, I don't know. I'm. Uh, and this is a genuine thing because this is somewhere the hunter conservationists would like to go is to be adding to some of these national news stories from a different perspective. But we can't pay thousands of dollars to have press releases out on every issue that comes out. Some of these groups can't afford that. Well, I think I think you just hit the hit the nail on the head there, Mark. Is like these these organizations are, you know, very well provisioned. Um, they are well funded. They have a whole lot of cash. They have staff. They have you know they they are, you know. I'm sure that some of these big groups have more staff, uh, you know, more people on staff than, you know, the FIC and all of the provincial and territorial trapping associations combined. Um, it's, it's just a reality of, of the situation. Uh, and, you know, we can try and be proactive. And I think a, a certain part of it is, you know, if we are proactive enough, as the FIC, as as provincial and territorial trapping associations, um, if we can get our way into enough of the stories by saying, "Hey, why isn't there balance here? Why isn't there a, a voice from from the other side of this?" Um, if those reporters know that we exist, and we make sure that they know that we exist, um, then there will come a point where they know that okay, we're writing a story about trapping we need to reach out to pei trappers association and the fic or the alberta trappers association and the fic um we need to be present we need to be out there we need to be you know we we need to do the annoying call a reporter 16 times um because a lot of it is is not even necessarily any kind of of animus from the reporters against any animosity towards trappers or towards trapping associations or the FIC, they just know that they have somebody in their email inbox saying they want to talk about this story, um, and they they want to get out a story. Yeah, and their you know their their job uh, is to be first, you know, not to, not necessarily to be the most accurate or to write you know long form piece it's it's you know 800 words who uh, who can get the 800 words out faster um which is unfortunate and and you know my uh my five-year degree in communications leads me to have a whole lot of thoughts about that but uh that's a different podcast and different conversation but uh it's it, it it is a reality that you know the our pro sustainable use pro trapping pro humane traps pros uh prefer voices need to be loud we don't even necessarily need to be louder than the other side um because they they don't have to do the work 
that we do. <laughs> All they have to do is make noise. We have to go and do trap research and do um, all of these important behind the scenes things uh, and then be loud about them. Uh, but uh, you know our our primary role is at the FIC is is trapping trap testing and certification, and everything else builds out from there, like we talked about on on hunter conservationist. Uh, but if we're not able to be a defender of commercial trapping and of humane trapping, um, there's no need to test and certify traps because there will be no one to do it for. So, you know, certainly that's something we, we hope to be able to do is to be loud enough to ensure that, you know, the media knows if you're talking about trapping, you need to be talking to trappers and the institutions that represent them. No, good, um, good, good messages. Um, that's definitely something um, we have our site set on for 2023 is um, cracking into um, being able to comment on news stories a, a bit, a bit more. Any final kind of thoughts or messages you want to leave folks with on these two stories? I mean, I think I think just to to reiterate is is that piece around, um, you know, if you see a news story and it doesn't have a pro-trapping voice against the anti-trapping voice. Um, as consumers of media, we're not entirely passive, or we don't have to be passive. We can push back on those reports. We can tweet at those reporters and say, hey, why isn't there a, a pro-trapping, why isn't there a trapping expert voice in this story, depending on what the story is, right? Um, you know, and and if you are someone who who wants to see a future for commercial trapping in this country for humane trapping in this country um you know support your provincial and territorial trapping associations support the fic support you know the the people that are out there you know fighting this fight um and you know whether that's by you know hitting retweet or uh or posting something on facebook or taking out a membership in your in your provincial territorial trapping association um this uh this will end up being a fight to the end um at some point and it's it's our job to ensure we never get there um that uh that we continue to have trapping that we continue to have commercial trapping and use of fur and um and social acceptance of that um from now until the end of time hopefully um and you know that that starts with ensuring that folks aren't afraid to buy fur. Um, you know that they're not reading news stories all the time about uh, about all of these terrible things that are happening um, that aren't commercial trapping. You know that, that that get pinned on the responsible commercial trapping community. Yeah, no, that's um, g good messages, and I think. Um this is where the power of people that are listening come into these stories, um, whether you're pro-trapping or not. Um, your voice amplifies everything that we do and that Doug does. And, and one, even if you're not like pro-trapping or pro-hunting, and just like Doug said, tweet the reporters and say, I, I as a Canadian 
information consumer need to know and something seems to be missing here just ask for fair balanced information because at the end of the day you need to make personal decisions about what your opinions or positions are uh, and you should be fully informed and you should know as much as you and, and you should demand that especially from our publicly funded national news uh, <laughs> network right those are your tax dollars at work just demand that um, if you are pro-trapping or you are pro-hunting, again, your voice in asking for this balance or more information is amplifying the work that Doug does and the different uh, groups and, and, and what we do. So that, that's, that's very powerful. Um, you're, you're amplifying messages uh, and incredibly, incredibly helpful. You know, one of the final thoughts that I... I, I'll, I'll leave folks with is um, this issue of trapping on the land base and people recreating and pets. Um, this is not the first time we've heard this story. It usually comes up a couple of times a year somewhere in the country. So there are things that the non-trapper backcountry recreational users can do and I completely get it that it is not always practical to have your dog in a leash when you go to the backcountry. If you're skiing or whatever and your dog can run 10 times faster than you can ski, it's, I, I get it. I'm, I grew up rural with dogs and being on a leash in the woods is not a fun time for you or the dog. However, just like being prepared for avalanches, for, um, bears in the backcountry or hypothermia or whatever make the idea of an accident with a commercial trap part of what you are prepared for when you go into the backcountry keep in mind there is no trapper on the face of this planet in this country that wants to harm your pet they do not want you to stay out of the backcountry so First and foremost, if there are signs up that says active trapping, know that's the case. So, so it's like we're going to go backcountry skiing. Canadian Avalanche Association says high hazard between this elevation and this elevation on these aspects. Use that basic intel at the start of your, um, your, your trip, right? You see a little bit of avalanche activity and you're starting up the valley. Like those are some clues. So the first one is, is a sign. Um, so you know that you're going into the back country. There's usually flagging, marking where traps are set. You might see trappers trails in the bushes, or you might see the boxes on the side of the snowmobile trail or whatever. Um, but not always and they you might see some flagging or, or or some activity but not act the the trap's not actually visible so the other part of this that i would ask people to do is to prepare yourself for the backcountry and learn about these traps like you would first aid what do i do there's three basic traps that you need to worry about one is this is the foot restraining trap one is the body gripping and the other is a snare. Now there are things that you can educate yourself about just like first aid to deal with your pet being caught in each one of those. 
The Alberta Trappers Association, if you look them up on YouTube, have a very good educational video and they advocate that people carry cable cutting hand cutters with them. The exact same ones that a trapper would use. So you've got a braided cable, which is what a snare is made from. If your dog is accidentally caught on it, they show you in the video these cable cutters because regular wire cutters don't work trying to get through all those bundles of cables if you've ever tried that. You just slip it under the, the collar and snip and boom the whole thing's off that quickly. It, it's like what do you do if your partner falls and all of a sudden it's like they got an arterial bleed. Bang. Immediately pressure. Right? But prepare yourself for that um, and have the tools. Foothold traps are generally padded or they're offset jaws that are designed to clamp onto the foot at a very particular spot on the paw of an animal to not break bones, not crush tendons, or not damage muscles. So your pet will be held in a trap. It's going to look scary. So again, you have two emergency procedures. One, they're, they're relatively easy to push down on the two big compression springs on each side and relax the jaws and the dog will pull its foot out. Learn how to do that. Get a hold of a trapper in your community and say, hey, can you just show me how to press down on a, you know, and practice it a couple of times. Um, great knowledge. If you don't know, most foothold traps will be anchored to something solid again with a cable that you could either cut uh, or undo a clasp and then just bring your dog in the trap out right and get someone to take it off for you lastly would be a body gripping trap which would not be ideal for an animal that, you know sticks a pet that sticks its head in but there are cases and we have heard stories in canada of people's pets being caught in them they're they're not instantly killed, but the people cannot get them open because they are very, very powerful. Again, there are tools. Uh, they're sort of, they're called jaw setters. They're kind of like a, a little on the large side, like you would think of um, bolt cutters. If somebody needs to cut a lock off of a gate to get in or whatever. And if you really, really want to be prepared and have the equipment to deal with that, get yourself a set of those and have someone how to show you how to just quickly clamp clamp pinch and opens up you know so it's a little gruesome talk but it's like i i do think we need to be open about that and i do think people want should be prepared just like they would for a backcountry injury hypothermia got to spend the night you know just just be prepared for that stuff. I don't think there's a trapper that wouldn't take a few moments to show you, you know? So, um, cool, man. Thanks for making the time to talk about these stories. Hopefully we've shed a little bit of a critical thought perspective for folks listening. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks Mark for, for the opportunity to come on and, uh, and talk about, um, you know the to talk about legal and sustainable and humane trapping in Canada and uh, and what isn't um, what isn't humane sustainable and legal trapping uh, and uh, and how folks uh, how we can avoid folks getting confused between uh, between the two. Mm, very good because there are folks that are trying to confuse yeah. the public discussions on these. So 
thanks so much for unconfusing a few things and and educating us a bit bit more on what the fur institute does and um and your thoughts on these two incidents um that recently happened last week in canada so um awesome if you want to look uh doug and the fur institute up um fur institute of canada website tremendous amount of resources there uh and twitter as well right yeah yeah we're we're easy to find we're at fur.ca uh for our website and uh our uh, twitter handle is at fur institute okay awesome all right everybody you're up to date on what's going on around canada see you in the next episode